Psalm 40, turn there as we continue on in our sermon series on security. How many of you have been hacked this week? Anybody? Nobody, good. It's because we're preaching this sermon on security. All right, how many of you got bad phone calls from, uh, from uh, we don't know who they are, but you know, bad phone calls, right? I apologize, I'm working on it. Doing the best I can. I think there's a reduction this week in what we had last week, and uh, someone's listening out there. As we continue on, I'm very excited about this sermon series. Looking at this issue of security in a world that feels insecure. That's why we're doing this sermon series. What do we have to feel insecure about? And how do you move forward as a believer in Jesus Christ during a time where we're facing so many insecurities? Just the fact that we are gathered, whether here or whether online, is moving forward. It is an evidence of God at work in your heart. Do not assume, because brothers and sisters, my heart weeps weakly for those who the enemy has defeated in their, in their spirit, that they have given up. They've given up hope, they've given up faith, that the world around them is too overwhelming. You may know someone like that. And that's what really predicates our theme scripture for this series. So Psalm 40, let me start by reading it again. David says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Amen? The whole passage speaks to our focus today. But it's that last part that really speaks to helping clear up some of the fear, some of the ambiguity, some of the nervousness that impedes our spiritual health. Today's sermon title is Secure Draft Pick. We're getting ready for the NFL draft. And... Uh, I know many in the Bay Area are very excited about that. You 49er fans are uh, eagerly looking forward to what this next season will be, but I'm not going to go the obvious route of football. It's spring training. So we're going to kind of parlay off of baseball a little bit today. And for those of you that are worried that you're going to hear once again Pastor Jeremy's story of the Immaculate Catch, it's not going to happen. Sorry to disappoint you. It's overused. Get over it. I have. <laughs> but the psalmist says here, he states something at the very end that is the springboard for where we want to focus today. Many 
will see and fear. The idea of fear is respect. It grabs your attention. It forces you to really consider what is in front of you. How many of you have reacted? This is just a question for you. It's not one for me. Did you catch that? I didn't say us. I'm saying you. How many of you have been in a room in an unfamiliar house and somebody shut the lights off? And suddenly you're very motivated to find that light switch, right? Like there is a, there's something inside of you that's very serious. But you being a rational adult, you're not, you're not fearful of, uh, of specters or things like that. It's just, look, I might, I might stub my toe on something and, and that's not wise. So I need to just locate the, the light switch. But in essence, regardless, you were motivated, right? That there became a seriousness because of what you're observing and what you're experiencing. This is what David is saying. Many will see and fear what? How God has taken David out of the miry clay and set his feet upon the rock. Can you imagine what God will do through his church for such a time as this. So are we prepared? Because believe it or not, you are his draft pick. You, if you are in the kingdom, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, that is because God has called you to him. You are his draft pick. As I was preparing this message, I had a ball game on, on the side, and... Um, very little unknown, obscure player was at bat. And they were talking about how he's having a horrible spring, just not living up to expectations. His name was, uh, or is, um, something to do with a fish. Um, something trout. Mike Trout. It was Mike Trout, in case you're not familiar with that name. And uh, as I'm pulling all my resources together, I could hear the announcer, saying, yeah, he's had a rough spring. And then all of a sudden you hear the crack of the bat. And all of a sudden you hear the announcer's voice change. And the excitement begins to build. And if you're listening closely, you could tell by the crack of the bat, this ball's got a chance. And so the announcer gets more and more animated. And then you hear, it's out of here which then, in fact, caused me to divert my eyes from my, my spiritual implications of preparing this message over to my screen on my phone and look. And I want to share with you right now the beautiful moment that I watched. I missed the home run, but what I saw out in the grass in the outfield at Tempe Diablo Stadium, there's a kid holding his glove like this and he's running up the hill, and he's running towards his dad. And his dad, being the mature, stoic man that he is, is jumping up and down and up and down and screaming and high-fiving everybody around him, and he's just so excited, so much so that what, what happens? The announcers take notice and say, now there is a happy dad. 
And I have to share with you, we can put ourselves in that position often, can't we? When our quote-unquote draft picks perform, Tony Regans will go down in history as the general manager who draft, drafted Mike Trout. He might actually even make it into the Hall of Fame. But if you took his body of work and all the other people he drafted, don't ask an Angels fan about Tony Regans. Because it's almost like they've forgotten that he drafted Mike Trout. Tony Regans is a dirty name based off of his overall performance. And he's no longer in baseball. But that's the man that saw something in Mike Trout and gave him his chance. He's the man that drafted Mike, and then Mike got to work. And we're going to look at that this morning. And we're going to look out of Colossians. Turn to Colossians 1, 28 through 29. And this is a great passage. It really is the scripture that fits with our equipping verses. Um, you can see the five E's above me. And today is a focus on evangelism, believe it or not. Right? Many will see and fear. Why will they see and fear? They will see what God has done in my life to pull me out of the miry clay, set my feet upon the rock, and they will take notice, and they will ask questions, and they will want to know, how did this happen? And it says what? And they will believe. And they will believe. Hold on to that message, because my friends, you've been drafted. If you have faith, if you say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been drafted. So let's take some words from the Apostle Paul this morning. The scripture is on the screen. We're looking at player development at this point. And Colossians 1, 28 through 29 says this, Him we proclaim. Who's him? Jesus. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is the Apostle Paul speaking, and it sounds like he expects a batting average of 1,000, right? Which anybody who understands baseball will tell you is virtually impossible. If you're hitting three out of 10 times, you get a hit. You are really, really good, and you should get paid millions of dollars. You should tell that to your boss next time they think you're underperforming. Just go to your boss and say, well, I got three out of ten right. Right? The next time your children are, you should coach your children this way. The next time your kids, like, are taking a test and they get an F, if they got three out of ten right, they should go to the teacher, the professor, and say, hey, according to baseball rules, I should be making millions. I deserve an A. Context is everything, isn't it? Paul shoots for the fences. He's swinging and he says, what? He says, him we proclaim, warning a few people and teaching some of you with a portion of wisdom that we may present 30% mature in Christ. That is what we would preach. Because so much of the time we feel defeated, don't we? Based off of our results. It's my job this morning to expose the lies of evangelism. 
and to help each person in here who names Jesus as Lord, the joy of being in the game. So let's go. So let's get in the game this morning. Let me give you some key points. Uh, actually, let me finish that scripture. He says, for this I toil, verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Key verse. Incredibly key verse. So let me give you a breakdown. Let's get in the game, right? You've been drafted by the king of kings, by the greatest general manager ever, and what is his expectation, because that sh should be what matters, shouldn't it? It should be what your coach expects that matters. If you, if you want to stay in the game, if you don't want to get benched, if you don't eventually want to get traded, you want to know how to please your coach or your manager. So number one, we take from Paul's instructions, what should we be doing? As believers in Jesus Christ, let's start with proclaim. Amen? We proclaim. Him we proclaim. We don't proclaim another gospel, Paul says. We don't proclaim your best life now. Sorry, but not sorry. We don't proclaim uh, how you can feel better about yourself. That's a good thought, and Scripture talks about that. Paul doesn't say any of that. Paul says we proclaim Jesus, and when you proclaim Jesus, then what happens? Then you have your best life now. Then you see how God works wonderfully within your life. But if we try to attempt to do the other things, and if we preach those other things first without Christ, guess what? Verse 29 is a non-issue. Paul talks about how he has these incredible expectations. The reason is he understands his manager. He's in the game. And so he expects to see all. He expects to do things with everyone. Next, mix up your delivery. If a pitcher steps up and just keeps sending off-speed pitches, guess what's going to happen? Boom, boom, boom. He's going to get hit. He's going to get taken yard. And pretty soon, someone's going to walk out and pay him a little visit. And when they pay him a little visit, what do they do? They hold out their hand. Give me the ball. <laughs> Give me the ball. You're out of here. How many of us have felt that way when it comes to evangelism? We just didn't have our best stuff that day or we're worried about. And so just like pitchers, we get into the game and we're so focused on what we cannot do that we don't execute well. And then it affects our next time out on the mound. And it affects our next time and pretty soon, the manager doesn't have confidence in us because we didn't pay attention to the manager's confidence to put us out on that mound in the first place. Our eyes were focused on ourselves. Our eyes were focused on what we couldn't do or how we were poorly executing. And once that happens to a pitcher, they go downhill fast. We gotta mix up our delivery. What do we mean about that when it comes to proclaiming Christ? Let me share with you quickly just some ideas on that level. He talks about warning and teaching. He talks about warning and teaching. And so if as a, as a preacher, if I only preach but I don't teach, 
I'm probably not doing a good job in equipping you. I'm probably not doing a good job in making sure that I'm presenting you with all wisdom. And Paul brings up this point. So he also talks about the fact that, yes, we need to teach, but we also need to, what is the other word there? Starts with a W. Let me hear you say it. Warning. Let me help you out. Warning. Right? Warning. This is not a popular idea within groups these days. We don't want the warnings. We just want the teaching. And yet, what does Paul say? If I'm going to be effective, I've got to mix it up every once in a while. Which parent, if they love their children, does not warn them if they're heading down a dangerous road? Right? Can you just imagine this? As your two-year-old child starts to run out into the road? Hey, let me just tell you how much damage is going to happen when that Jeep hits you, Scotty. But you know, you've got a brain. You feel free to make your choices, Scotty. But see, here's the difference, right? Because I know what you're thinking. We're adults in the room, folks. Can I do a real quick review of how many adults you know that make really bad decisions every once in a while? Paul says, mix up your delivery sometimes. Because the ultimate goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. So as we go out and we start proclaiming his name, how I'll speak to one individual may not be the same way I'll share with a, a different individual. Does that make sense? As the Holy Spirit leads you, you've got the arsenal, you've got the message, you've got Jesus, but how you deliver who Jesus is, you've got to pay attention, I've got to pay attention to who I'm throwing to. There's one zone you throw to Mike Trout if you want that ball to go out of the yard and you want your manager to come out and take that ball from you. And it's basically anything that's not high and inside. And everybody in baseball knows this. So if you throw a pitch that's down and outside, down and inside, high and outside, down the center of the plate, everything but 10% of the strike zone, you're going to get hit against. So what do I do as a pitcher? I consider that. And I either walk him, right? And by the way, everybody loves walks. Everybody loves intentional walk. It's the hottest play in all of baseball, right? It may not be what everybody loves, but is it going to accomplish what the manager wants? Sometimes you have to mix it up. Does that make sense? We've got to consider who we're pitching to if we want to present everyone mature in Christ. Know your goal. So I just segued right into it. Paul says his goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. Everyone mature in Christ. There may be illustrations like this one today. You're saying, I don't care about baseball. I, I, I could care less about baseball. Why are you choosing to focus so much on baseball? Because I know Roger loves baseball. 
And it'll keep his eyes open if I keep talking about baseball. Okay? And, and I know Brad and Mike and Lynn love baseball. I was almost going to go with golf just for Jay. But I, but I held off. The illustration or the moment may not be your perfect example. But I encourage you, understand your goal. And so there will be times where I'm preaching to a wide swath of people. Sometimes you just got to pick a lane, but you got you to bring it around for everybody. Let's see if I do that today. So that I can present everyone mature in Christ. I can follow through with what Paul is dictating. Next, we have to work at it. Right? If we want to get in the game, we have to work at it. That's what all these baseball players are doing right now. They're in spring training, and there's a bunch of non-roster invitees that are, that are vying for positions with every team. And they've been brought into camp, and you know what the statistics are? I don't either. <laughs> but they're not good for any of these individuals to make a team. And when they do, it's big, big news because they've beaten the odds. How many of us, when the odds are stacked so badly against us, we just say, it's not even worth it. It's not a, it's not a good use of my energy or my resources or my time. You know what's amazing is I hear all of these explanations and I've read all these books about how to do evangelism right. And most individuals will say, the day of using a track is dead and gone. You're archaic if you're using a track. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Okay? Track is a little piece of paper that became very popular uh, going back all the way to the Civil War. All right? It actually even came out of Western Europe. And it's just a little piece of paper that you would hand to people. In some ways, it was an excuse, right? You could hand it to the person and just walk away. You didn't have to proclaim Jesus at all. It's like, here you go. See you later. Enjoy the pancakes, right? And so using the track became a major form of evangelism for decades, even centuries. And now they're saying, no, 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 that's not, how you, that's not how you go about doing real evangelism. You need lifestyle evangelism. You know what's amazing is that we've had two individuals come to faith just at this church because one person still believes in using tracks. And they handed out tracks at work. And two of their co-workers. And we've had lights lit for those two co-workers. You know, we have this challenge that when we go to work, we, we are not wanting to fail. I get it. But all these non-roster invitees, if they're not willing to fail, they're never going to make a team. They're never going to be able to feel like they're going to get in a game. You have to be willing to fail because in your eyes it may be a failure. In Jesus' eyes, what are you doing? You're proclaiming Christ. Scripture talks about if we are silent, the rocks and the trees will cry out about the testimony of who God is. If God can use rocks and trees and God can use a donkey, right? <clears throat> God can use you. Just make sure that what you're proclaiming is who? Jesus. We have to work at it. We have to train. We have to be willing to fail. 
The other part that we take from this passage from, from Paul is that we don't go alone in this effort. That often when I have made attempts to share Christ and proclaim him, I haven't really prayed about it, I haven't really thought about it, I haven't even considered who I'm pitching to. I just do it. I just get in this mode of things I've been taught and things I've said. And when I walk away from it, I realize, boy, I really didn't consider that person. I didn't really listen to what their needs were. I didn't, I didn't look at how is it that the gospel can speak to this individual person just like Jesus did as he walked the streets of Jerusalem or he walked through the countryside of Palestine. Jesus always had ultimately a kingdom message, but he brought that in a unique way to different people based off their needs. Amen? So don't go alone. Use the power, as Paul says, use the power that he works within you, and you will see great things. Trust your team. Let's go to our second point today. Matthew 25, 23, this is the parable of the talents, and some may know what that means, some may not know what that means, and I'm only going to read a portion, so let me truncate the entire parable down to this, that Jesus is using a teaching moment, and he uses a parable, an illustrative story to get a principle across, a spiritual principle, kingdom teaching, and he talks about how <clears throat> a manager gave a talent, which was a form of money, a, a, a uh, wasn't a day's wage necessarily, but um, you know, it, it was a portion of payment. And so this manager gives to uh, multiple individuals his money. And so then the way the parable goes is Jesus tells it, he asks for an accounting when he comes back, what did you do with what I gave you? Do you see what Jesus is actually speaking to? What has he given to you and I? He's given us the gospel. He's given us the light of Christ. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And what Jesus is saying, as I give you the keys to the kingdom, I expect you to use it. If I say you're on the bump today, I don't expect you to come back to me and say, I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> you know, I don't think I got my best stuff today. And the manager says, you've got what I've given you, which is an opportunity. Get out there and pitch. Get out there and proclaim Jesus Christ. And you leave the results up to me. And so what happens in this parable, let's get to it. There's the final. There's, there's I think it's three individuals that come to him, say, hey, I did this, and it gave this kind of a return. And Jesus says, or the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, right? We get to the last one, verse 23. It says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. This is actually a third one. And he says, enter into the joy of your master. This is the expectation of our manager. Is that he's given you and I something. If we have faith in Jesus Christ, he has given you and I something and he expects us to do something with it. Amen? Yeah, I didn't think I'd get an amen on that. That's a, that's a hard one, right? We like the receiving. We like the heaven. We like the deal. 
But when it comes to partnering with Jesus and getting in the game and understanding the expectations of our master, here's the rough part. Here's the warning that people really bristle at. But I would be a horrible pastor, a horrible preacher, if I didn't share with you all of God's teaching. Amen? Here comes the warning that Paul's talking about. You and I will stand before Jesus, and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? I actually have bad dreams about people walking up to me in some kind of a line. I don't know why people are in line in heaven. I have no idea. But in, in my dream, people are in line. And they go before, and, and Jesus says, what'd you do with what I gave you? And they turn and look at me and they go, what am I supposed to say? You didn't warn me that I was going to have to go through this. Okay, right now, it's 11.23 on Pi Day, 2021. Consider yourself warned, I'm off the hook. That was not for your benefit, it was for mine, so I don't have to feel guilty. Expectations of our manager. We see Jesus himself say, I've given you something to use. I do not understand it. Right? If, if I had... If I had an incredible picture, I feel so bad. I'm trying to remember this picture from the Giants that Lynn really liked. And I can't remember his name. He pitched a no-hitter. Matt Cain. So if you had a Matt Cain in the, in the prime of his life as your manager, and he told you to go out and pitch? Wouldn't you think that was a little backwards? I get the tension. The tension is palpable. Jesus, <laughs> you appeared to Paul when he was the worst. Just do that to everybody. Game over. Why are you entrusting us with this responsibility? We stink at doing this. So why do you keep asking us to do this? Let me tell you why. Because when you get on, on that mound and you strike out a Mike Trout and you walk back to the dugout and your manager, master, says, well done, good and faithful servant. There is not just joy in the presence of the Lord. There is immense joy that you cannot fulfill any other way by pleasing your master. This is why I think Jesus asks to do teamwork with us. If I was him, I wouldn't do it that way based off of efficiency. But Jesus throws efficiency out the door because it's through his power. Remember, Paul says it's through his power that he toils. When we go out there on our own, we're a train wreck. When we do it in his power, we see incredible things happen that we never thought would happen through us. We would never experience. Amen? 
Expectations of our managers. So let me break this down. Teamwork. We need to look at examples in Scripture. Examples such as Paul or Lydia or uh, as Paul referred to in, in Romans 16. There's a long line of them, but a couple you probably don't even know about, Adronicus or, or Junia, which he gives extreme praise to. But many of us have never even heard those names. They're obscure names. And why does he mention them? He even says, by the way, they're kind of Hall of Famers because all the apostles know these two. Jesus has decided he will use us to show his stuff. Secondly, we've been given the gospel and the keys to the kingdom. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 8. I want to I take you there to help you understand how to use your, your arsenal of pitches, all right? 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 8. You know what? Maybe you're not on the bump that day. Maybe you're not a starting pitcher. Maybe you're a reliever. Maybe you're a closer. Maybe you're not either. Maybe you're a catcher that helps the pitcher frame the pitches. Maybe you're a pitching coach. You see where I'm going with this? Because a lot of us just don't see ourselves as that closer. God just hasn't given me that ability. Let me help blow your mind with how all of this works, right? Teamwork, teamwork. 1 Corinthians 3, and we'll just read 5 through 8. Paul says this because there's this big controversy within the church about who's better, this guy Apollos or Paul. And he says this, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each, right? The baseball analogy works beautifully, right? I got a guy who can't hit lefties. I'm going out to the mound. Give me the ball. I'll never forget when I was playing, <laughs> I was playing in high school and my coach pulled me out of the game and he was using me as a striker. A striker is someone who scores a, a really fast person with massive shooting skills. And <clears throat> here's the deal. I never earned the name Lightning Cook in my life. So as foolish as I was as a senior in high school, I figured out what he was doing. I was a keeper, not a striker, but I also was the biggest guy on the team, which meant what? I was a target. And he knew that we were down one of our strikers, our best player on the team, so he wanted me to get in the box, and he wanted me to get fouled. And that's exactly what happened, and that's exactly how we won the game. Ask me if I got to take the penalty kick. Nope. But he pulled me out after we scored that penalty kick, after someone else scored that penalty kick, at the bereft of my right knee. And as I'm coming off the field, I made a horrible mistake. What do you think I did? I muttered under my breath as I walked past the coach, my disdain. I'm a senior. I'm a veteran player. And you're just using me. And he screamed me down in front of the whole stadium. And rightfully so. Because other players heard me say what I said. So I gave him a choice. 
to be disrespected in front of his team and question his management style. A manager comes out and he knows that the hitter who's just been subbed in, you National League people, you're loopy. I don't understand how all that works. But you get a pinch hitter and all of a sudden the current pitcher has no idea how to pitch this guy, but the manager knows. The manager knows he cannot hit a lefty. So out walks your manager and gives you the ball. And, and what's the first inclination? What are you doing? I was, I've got four strikes, no walks. And you're pulling me in front of everybody? Do you know how humiliating that is? How many times have I watched a game where the manager holds off because he's worried about what the pitcher thinks? He's worried about the sensitivity of the pitcher rather than doing what is right. And the pitcher gets lit up and they lost the game. You know, the manager makes decisions based off their wisdom. Earthly managers in baseball fail miserably. But our manager has all wisdom, Paul says. And so he knows if he places you in a certain position, he knows what he's doing. Some of you are closers. Some of you are inning eaters. Some of you are catchers. Some of you are just bullpen coaches. Let me get to what Paul was saying to bring home this point. He says, what, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Right? There is teamwork here based off of the plan by the manager. Sometimes we use this scripture, we twist it to our advantage in our laziness though. Right? We're, we're going to deny the exhilaration of doing something where we experience the exhilaration, the beauty of the game, and seeing something happen that if we just stay on the bench, we don't have to face the failure, right? But we also don't get to experience well done, good and faithful servant. We don't experience the teamwork with God when we put ourselves out in faith and in trust and simply focus on what God has given us, that which we proclaim. Look no further than the stories to understand the teamwork, right? We've been given the gospel and the keys of the kingdom. Focus on that. Jesus has given that we might follow his example and give what we have received. How many times in the gospels do we hear Jesus say, I am here to do the will of my Father. I am here to preach the kingdom over and over. Each of us have the ability to share from our own lives what Jesus has done. Amen? Amen. The life-changing light of the gospel in our lives was never meant to be suppressed. Amen? And because we have a light lit right here, and that's because of Karen and Mike Lindemann never suppressing their faith in front of their grandchildren. And last week we were able to light that light, and Karen came to me and asked and requested that for her grandson, 
who's in the military, which gives you a come to Jesus moment every five minutes, right, Gary? And, uh, but the reason was because they planted the seeds. It was God at work that opened the heart of the individual. What if Mike and Karen had suppressed that message and never shared it with their grandsons? We need to secure the draft picks. Last point today, Matthew 5, 16. And you should be somewhat familiar with this. It's on all of our logo, all of our labeling and branding around here. And it's really what these uh, lights are about behind me. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall, it, <clears throat> how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let me give you five tools as we segue into this. Five tools for securing praise from your coach. It's the ultimate compliment. And you hear news or sportscasters all the time talk about, he's a five-tool player, right? And then he turns out he's a two-tool player. And you wasted all your fantasy draft stuff on him. But every once in a while, we do see a five-tool player come through, and they're incredible. I just happen to have caught a ball from one. I won't get into that. Five tools for securing praise from your coach. Christ has an expectation. Your Father in heaven has an expectation that you and I can do if we team up with him, if we do not suppress that light and put it under a bushel, right? And the idea is simply that just showing Christ in you, do you have to be perfect? I already gave you the baseball stats. No, it's not about you. Paul says it himself. It's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's about him. But him we proclaim. And let him do the work in those around us. Amen? Amen. So five tools some real practicum here on how to shine that light so that the ultimate goal here, the win, is that those around you, just like in Psalm 40, many will see and hear, or many will see and fear, right, and believe. Same thing. Same thing is, is given by Jesus himself here when he says, let your light shine Right Before men, so that they give glory to your Father in heaven. So number one, stop defeating yourself. Have you ever been in that situation? Let's take it out of baseball. See, I told you, I, I was going to give you a break from baseball. How many of you failed your driver's test because you just got in your own head? Go ahead, raise your hands. I want to see. I was just kidding. I, that was my sarcasm. Plus, I would rat out a few of the others in the room that I happen to know that happened. Yeah, there are so many of us that, and then, did we have all the confidence in the world going back? I mean, why even go back? I know a couple of people that that happened and they just refused to go back. And eventually, I think the state just gave them 
a license in the mail. Like they applied for it, you know, through popular mechanics or something. Stop defeating yourself. I took the Seabest a long, long time ago. And it's, a, it's an exam you have to take to qualify to substitute teach in California. And a friend of mine had taken it five times and didn't pass. And boy, was he the, the essence of encouragement. For like three weeks before I went to take, he goes, look, man, seriously, it's so hard. Look, you're not going to pass it the first time, probably not even the second time. I can help you. And I'm thinking, why would I go to a guy that failed it five times, <laughs> right? I, I, I don't need that confidence builder. Stop defeating yourself. He eventually passed it. We need to listen to the coach and have faith in our stuff. We need to listen to the coach. That needs to be preeminent in our minds. If we want to secure our draft picks, we need to listen to our coach and have faith in our stuff. Number two, start training. Schedule times to shine. We wonder why it's just not happening. Let me ask you, how many have scheduled times with your, don't raise your hand, I need to make this caveat now. How many times, or how many of us have already scheduled with our accountant or our tax person? Right? You scheduled it because it was important to you. How many of us have ever scheduled a coffee date or just going out fishing or whatever it is that fits in your world or this other person's world where you can just naturally shine the message of Christ? Naturally shine. We're not talking about a presentation, but even if you feel like you have to do it, remember what I shared with you. All statistics, everything being written out there right now says stop with giving out tracts, it doesn't work. At this church, at many churches, I will tell you, God can use whatever he chooses to use. Amen? Don't forget, he chose to use you. Don't forget, he chose to use you. And there is so much joy. There is so much joy when you know you have teamed with the Lord and he has worked through you to see the light of Christ come into someone's life. A great testimony by Shelly and, and Gary about how they took one of our gift cards, right? And they went over to their neighbors across the street. They just felt compelled. And there was a tension there, right? It was like, ah, let's do it at another time. Or, you know, maybe it's uncomfortable. Or, yeah. And it's just like, no, let's do it. They had the resources. And the next thing they know, they're standing in a circle in the front yard of their neighbors with holding hands and praying and giving glory to God. And you know what? I got a phone call within four days, right? That is true. I got a phone call within five minutes of that happening. And I couldn't make sense of what these two were saying. For at least 10 minutes, they're talking over each other, they're yelling, they're shouting. I think I heard tongues. I don't, I'm not sure. But they were so excited. I've never heard so much excitement from them. Well, Gary had a men's breakfast around bacon. That's close. <laughs> Nothing can replace that. So start training. Schedule times to shine. Prayerfully meet with people you know and just care for them like Jesus did. 
Amen? Don't try to be someone else. That's one of the classic mistakes we make all the time is, is we see someone who has these incredible results as an evangelist and we try to be what they try to be and it's, it crashes and burns. Jesus knew what he was doing when he chose you to go to the mound. Just be your story. He's put a story together in your life that will encourage someone else. Have you ever had that happen to you? By the way, unless, let me tell you the importance of securing your draft picks. Unless you had an epiphany like Paul did and Jesus Christ appeared. You have faith in Jesus Christ. You have been introduced to him because someone spoke up. Because someone made an appointment. Because someone made the effort. Because someone cared enough to team with the Lord to share that gospel with you. Do you realize the value of that? It's tremendous. So please, don't defeat yourself. Use all your abilities. Use your mouth, your knowledge, your skills, your talents. Two of the ways that I've, I've done this is through coaching soccer uh, and, and then also through music. The individuals I've met around the world just playing music around the world and being able to share. Back in 2013, I sat on a bench of a, of a cricket field and was privileged to speak about who Jesus is according to Scripture with someone named Ibrahim who wanted me to understand who Jesus was according to the Muslim faith. Now how did that on earth ever happen? Because we scheduled it, right Mike? We scheduled it. We made an appointment. And we used all of our abilities. We used sports as a mechanism to start engaging with people that otherwise we would never engage with. Play to please your coach, lastly. Play to please your coach, not personal stats. What's going to be your legacy? Let me tell you, to wrap this up, why did I choose the baseball story? I got to go hang out with my son yesterday. And we golfed and we had a good time. I shot a 430. Is that bad, Brad? I actually rang the bell. There's a little cup for teas at the tee box, and I hit the ball so badly, I hit the bell, and everybody dropped to the ground because they were worried about the ricochet. It actually sounded like a giant ricochet bell. And, and one of the guys we were playing says, I don't think I've ever seen that happen before. I said, I'm an original. At the end of the day, we're eating dinner, and my son said something about baseball and how he wanted to guilt me for making him play baseball. He hated baseball. He told me that eight years after he had stopped playing baseball. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? So then I said, yeah, but son, your legacy, you got to turn a triple play with your dad and with Brad Walter. He goes, I love softball. So I'm thinking, okay, that, I, I can't fix that. I don't know where that comes from, but we, we still have that moment. That's great. But let me tell you how that draft pick was secured, what really matters. Because later he shared with me how he's working with a youth group 
at a mega church up there, and he's got a group of freshman boys that he's investing in. Today, he's sharing his gift of music so that the gospel goes out at a different church. For me, all those years of having him without pressure being around different ministry and giving him opportunity and and letting him sit in and, and do things and giving timely and subtle hints and sometimes strong warnings and good teaching was brought to complete fruition for me yesterday. Because it wasn't his dad that told him to go volunteer his time. It wasn't his dad that told him to go do ministry. It was the Lord. And so there's so much joy in my life, not just with my son, but as I look out at you and I see what God has done in your lives and what he will continue to do because he teams up with us in order that he can secure those draft picks. Let me close in prayer. I'm going to ask each of you just to spend some time in quality prayer right now. Going before your coach, your manager, your savior, however you want to term it, and ask him to reveal to you how he wants you to team up with him when it comes to this area of shining your light. How is it you can experience that joy of hearing the manager say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. Just spend a few minutes in prayer engaging with him. Father, I believe in your perfect will. I do not doubt. But there are moments where I just question why on earth you would partner with us. And I begin to understand and see that if we're just simply willing to be coached, if we're willing to take the mound, if we're willing to get into the game, we don't have to be alone. But we actually get to partner with you in what you want to do in securing those draft picks. What an honor you give to us. Father, let us not squander that opportunity. Thank you for the privilege and the honor to gather together and to proclaim your son. Amen.